What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Pound the Talk. Uh, I am Ben Chasen, joined as always by the awesome Will Carmen. Um, and this week, we're going to talk about Northwestern's latest game, its loss in Ann Arbor to Michigan, um, as well as previewing its upcoming contest against Minnesota. Uh, another game, I think, I think Will and I have been to every Northwestern game this year, like both of us individually. Um, but another game in which uh, both Will and I were, were, were in attendance. Uh, Will, your thoughts? Should be a fun game. Um, you know, I think Northwestern is an underdog by seven and a half points at home, indicating Minnesota is the much better team. I, I think, you know, for Northwestern, it's simply – if they perform well in the trenches, I think they'll win. And if they don't, they won't. And obviously Vegas thinks they won't perform well in the trenches. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota is a really, really, really good running team. I think that's the thing I look at. Um, let's get to Michigan first. Let's, let's, let's do that. Um, you know, I think there was a moment there in the first half. If you didn't believe after the Evan Hold touchdown, you probably did after the Coco Azima forced fumble to end the second half, the Northwestern might actually walk out of Ann Arbor with an upset win. Uh, and then there was the second half. I don't know uh, how descriptive in detail we want to get about that second half. W- was that worse than the first half at Nebraska? What, 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 what do we think? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. But I think it, the message, the rese- what it resembled might be worse than what a fluke horrible loss at Nebraska resembles. And the reason I say that, Ben, is because Jim Harbaugh is notorious for getting out coached in the second half, making bad halftime adjustments. And I actually think it's a controversial topic among Northwestern fans, whether or not Fitz is good at in-game adjustments. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but he just got completely out coached by Harbaugh in the second half. And there's probably some people listening to this who are saying, well, when you really look at it, Northwestern was incredibly lucky to only be down three after the end of the first half. Yeah, but like also it was bend don't break, like 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 what we saw out of Northwestern's defense in that first half. Yes, were they lucky? Sure, but it was they got lucky in twenty twenty. Let's like like it wasn't all skill, it wasn't all the ability. There was some luck there, and it's 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 what you do with that luck. And I thought they capitalized well on the luck. Um, I mean, ultimately you're not going to win very many games in which you surrender more than a hundred yards to two different rushers, right? That's what Northwestern did. 119 rushing yards for Blake Corum, 110 for Hassan Haskins. And we talked about it going in. These were the two guys that we were going to have to look out for. This is where the problems may come from for Northwestern. We know their rushing defense has been a problem. Um, and, and, and it looked improved against Rutgers. And the question is, is it going to hold up against a physical Michigan offensive line and against Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins? And I think for the majority of the first half, at least when it counted most, it did. And then they started missing tackles. I think they started a lot of gaps opened up. You started seeing bigger runs. I think a lot of hits weren't finished in the second half. Fitz said it was like a reversion to bad habits. I think that was an accurate statement for it, but I don't feel like there was anything like, like if Northwestern plays the way it did in the first half and the second half, I think that that, that is a game to the finish, maybe not a game they win, but a game to the finish. 
And it just felt like they weren't really executing, particularly again in the tackling extent um, in the second half. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ben. Um, you know, what killed Northwestern in the second half was really the opening possession to start the second half. You know, that, that makes it a two possession game. You had Northwestern had multiple opportunities to get stops on third and long or third and decent medium range, and they couldn't get them. And I think that's what broke the defense. Um, you know, the real issue is Northwestern does not have the front seven depth to contain Michigan's rushing attack in the second half. You know, so we talked about it being a coaching issue. It also might simply be that Northwestern simply doesn't have the talent to go four quarters with Michigan's rushing attack. Maybe. And here's the other thing I'll say. Yes, I think it was it was the combination of the first drive, which was a seven-play, 74-yard, three-minute and 24-second long drive for Michigan, in which they marched the ball down the field, scored pretty easily. And you were like, oh, that looks like Michigan, right? If you didn't, because like even their touchdown drive in the first half, 13 plays, five minutes, 32 seconds. It's a longer drive basically the same yardage wise Northwestern held them a little closer. It felt like Michigan kind of just marched down the field pretty easily and scored. It's the combination though, of that drive and then failing to get points when you were within very, very, very close range. I mean, another, another miss from within 40 yards for Charlie Kubander and Fitz says after the game, well, it doesn't seem like that really ended up mattering very much because the final score was a 26 point margin. But I think that honestly, you're looking at a 17 to 10 game in which Northwestern keep going. No, I mean, uh, go with what you're going to say. Cause I think it's what I'm going to say. And they got a three and out the next drive. Yeah. And, and then they get a black punt. And so it leads to the question, Ben, we've talked about staff stability under fits. I can't remember the last time Northwestern has had a good special teams unit, probably dating back to the Miles Schuler era. And it just baffles me that, you know, how does Jeff Jenick have as much job stability as he has? And in second off on top of that, it's, you know, what does it take for Northwestern to realize maybe we let Trey Finneson kick? I mean, we're not at practice. Trey Finneson could not be kicking well, but at this it's point, not even Trey Finneson, it's not even Trey Finneson, literally just put Jack Olson in at, at least give him a try. You don't lose the red shirt. You would get on him, which is, I, I assume what they're doing here. You don't lose the red shirt. You would get on him. I want to let you finish what you're saying, but let no, him try no, at least a, a, a game. And if he plays like a baller, then you burn the red shirt. You're going to burn the red shirt now though. I, 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 I mean, frankly, we, I think both know, and, and this is what I'll say about, actually, let me, let me, let me address your larger point about Jeff Jenick and about the special teams unit. Mm -hmm. I think the punt can, the, the, the punt return issues and the punt coverage issues, and the, 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 the block punt, all that you can chalk up to poor, you can potentially chalk up to poor special teams coaching or, or any of that. I think what really it comes down to in the kicking game is Charlie Kubander's not making kicks. Like Jeff Janet can't go out there and make Charlie Kubander make kicks that he should be making. That college kickers even, and I, I recognize that you take what college kickers give you with a grain of salt, but that college kickers give you, like he should be making those kicks. It's it's I I I, I forget what it was. I had some sort of stat about it in the story. 
he's missed a surprising number of kicks from within 40. Like so, if he was missing kicks from, 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 from outside of 40 yards, you know, those, those are a bit of more of a crapshoot, but like, I, I, I just don't think you can blame Jeff Jenick for Charlie Kubander. What I will say, Ben, is generally speaking, Charlie Kubander's freshman year, Ben, was 13 of 16. How just, you know, okay, it might, it, a large part of the blame falls on Charlie Kubander's shoulders, but you would think that the special teams coordinator should take some accountability in the regression of a kicker who kicked 81% in his freshman year that is now kicking field goals at a 44% clip in his senior year. I mean, I, I think a little bit of the blame falls on the person who oversees the unit, and that's Jeff Jenick. And on top of that, Ben, Northwestern had a blocked punt. A.J. Henning had a 19-yard punt return after Derek Adams punted the ball 50 yards, and that set up North Michigan in easy field position. You know, those are, those are big plays that he's letting up that you just cannot let happen, especially at, in a game where Northwestern has to do all the little things correctly in order to win. So let's do this. Let's let, 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 let's talk about, because there's been a lot of conversation about, oh, Kurt Anderson is underwhelming. Let's leave Fitz alone, right? Because I think there's critique of Fitz, but Northwestern's not firing Fitz. Northwestern would have to have numerous, like really, really, really bad years in a row, like two or three at least in a row for Pat Fitzgerald to get the ax. So let's talk about who are the most underwhelming position or, or, or just non-head coach coaches. So any offensive offensive or, or defensive coordinators are, are fair game. Cause like, I understand the critique of Kurt Anderson. Cause like the, 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 the talk was, Oh, he's going to recruit his guys. He's going to get them in. I'm going to coach them up and they're going to perform like a big 10 offensive line. And on occasion they do that. And it's usually anchored by one talented guy or another Rashawn Slater before Pete Skaronsky last year. Um, but like, you know, is Jeff Jenick worse than Kurt Anderson? Is Jeff Jenick worse than Jim O'Neill? We can say it at this point. Is Jeff Jenick worse than Mike Pajakian? Because I, I, I think that the play, the play call on Saturday was remarkably uninspired. Granted, there was very little time, but I think it was still remarkably uninspired. Like, I, I, it, are they all bad? Can they all be bad? Or is, 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 is some of this coming down to talent? You know, I think it's a fascinating question, but I'm going to start with Kurt Anderson. I think it's really tough to judge Kurt Anderson because the Achilles heel of this Northwestern offensive line are the guards. You have Charlie Schmidt, who was an Adam Cushing recruit. He committed in 2017 to Northwestern when, when uh, Adam Cushing was here and does some of that blame fall on, fall on Kurt Anderson for not develop, developing him properly. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a case to be made that he's got in some really good recruits. He's developed some guys on the offensive line really well, and that he deserves he deserves a few more years to really see how well he can recruit and develop. Um, and I don't think he's done an abysmal job. I mean, I think the offensive line, by and large, did a solid job last year. This year, they've definitely been underwhelming. Um, but do you have anything to say on Kurt Anderson, Ben? Um, I think that offensive line coaching in college is really difficult. Okay. Um, and that if people, and, and I understand that like some coaches are better than others and that the ideal was that Kurt Anderson was going to be a marked improvement on Christian. But I, I, I'd like to see 
and this is not me calling out people in the inside and you comments. This is me simply saying it as a term of speech. I'd really like to see other people try. Like, 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 if you think you can coach, especially in the Big Ten where the trenches is massive and you've got a ton of talent on defensive lines and linebacker cores, frankly, I'd like to see guys like, 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 what would you be doing differently that Kurt Anderson is not right now? Um, Cause I do think that there have been really strong years in the trenches for Northwestern, particularly last year um, under Kurt Anderson. Um, and I do think that he does need more time. I, I, I am hard to critique. I'm, I, or I'm, I'm not hard to critique. That's not a, that's not a word that a term of speech that people use. Um, I am hesitant to critique offensive line coaches in the college game. That is what I will say about Kurt, Kurt Anderson. And so while I think there are some things there that might be deserving of critique, I'm going to hold off because I think that it is easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that just because Kurt Anderson's probably making a couple hundred thousand dollars to coach Northwestern's offensive line. And, you know, it's, it's his job to develop the offensive line. If he's doing a good job, he deserves praise. And if he's not, he deserves criticism. Um, either way, I, I understand the premise of your point. I, I, I think of it differently, but either way, we're both in agreement that Kurt Anderson deserves the benefit of the doubt in, in earning a couple more years. Let's move on from Anderson. The next one for me, Ben, and this is, may come across as a hot take. I don't know what your opinion on this is. I think Mike Bajakian has been a huge disappointment. Okay, so here's the thing. I think last year you were seeing more inventive play calling from Northwestern's offense. Maybe that was because there was more to work with. Um. I know people don't like the Wildcat. I think the Wildcat actually is not that bad if you don't always do it and if you have the right personnel to do it. And I think a lot of that is dependent on the offensive line and a lot of that is dependent on having the right running back do, running out of, out, of, out, of, out of direct snap formations. And by the uh, way, defensive Kurt Anderson, the first half against Ohio State last year, those guys were mauling Ohio State's defense. Oh, yeah, they were. They were. And, and that's why that worked. You, you go back and look at that Cam Porter touchdown, which every Northwestern fan has done a million times because um, it was awesome. And there was no feeling quite like, oh, my God, we just went up on Ohio State. This might not be what we think it was going to be, right? Whatever it was, I think it was like a 16.5 underdog. I think that Mike Bajakian has been very underwhelming this year, but I think everybody has been very underwhelming this year. And even if he wasn't great last year, it's not like they would have pulled the plug. I think he had a good enough year last year. They improved enough under his watch last year to buy him at least a little bit of time. Also, I think his rapport with Ryan Holinsky is massively important. And Ryan Holinsky will not stop talking about how much he likes Mike Bajakian and how much Bajakian helps him and has gotten him acclimated with things. And maybe that hasn't worked well enough. But until Northwestern gets a better quarterback option for 2022, Ryan Holinsky's the guy and you kind of got to stick with Mike Bajakian, if you don't want Ryan Olinsky to have to readjust to another scheme and another offensive coordinator once again. But so, is he the guy? I don't know. I, 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 and I, I understand, you know, people might be frustrated with me continually being like, I don't know if he's the guy and I don't know if Kurt Anderson's the guy. But I genuinely feel like the improvement seen under Mike Bajakian last year was enough to buy him a bad year this year, especially given that Cam Porter um, is out. And I think, everyone who's listens to this podcast regularly um, and did so preseason or read any of our stuff preseason knows that I was incredibly bullish on Cam Porter. And as much as I like Evan Hull, he's not Cam Porter. Um, and I just feel like uh, that might be 
a little something here um, relating to the offense's performance this year. I think they would be able to establish the run more easily, which would open up some creativity in the past game, which I don't think we've been able to see. So that's where I'm at. This is what I'm going to say by and large, and then let's move on to Minnesota, Ben. Um, there are far too many question marks in regards to player personnel and the staffing in general. There are far too many questions regarding both of those facets, given where Northwestern was a year ago. This year has been unacceptable, and Fitz has a lot of questions to answer. And... You know, the answers aren't right in front of us right now. Northwestern is going to have a ton of questions next year to address, right? You're losing Bryce Kurtz. Apologies. You're losing Stefan Robinson Jr. Are they going to bring in another transfer quarterback? And if you're a transfer quarterback, like they've done a Okay, I was going to say, if you're a transfer quarterback, why do you want to transfer to Northwestern given what happened to Holinsky and Hunter Johnson? But then, of course, there's Peyton Ramsey, so who knows? Um, you know, I, I just... I think there's a lot of questions to be answered and there's not really an easy answer to what, what, what happens next year. How does Northwestern get back to competing for big 10 West titles? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is correctly stated. Um, But it wouldn't be the first time that it looked like Northwestern might be in for a down year and then they come out with a good year. And this has certainly been a down year. So we know how the law of Northwestern averages works. And usually it's a bad year and then a good year and then a worse year than the year before then a good year. And ultimately this team could still be bowling. Like that's what maybe we're not realizing. Wisconsin's defense is very good. They'll be beatable though. Cause their offense gives up more turnovers and is less productive than Northwestern's is frankly. Um, I mean, Iowa has a horrible offense. That is an upset alert that I am watching. Um, simply because if their defense can't force turnovers, they really can't do much of anything as a team. Um, I think Minnesota is winnable. We'll talk about that right in a sec. Uh, I think Purdue showed itself to be what Purdue is, right? Which is a team that can catch fire because of their weapons, but might not really be that legit. So that's winnable. I think every game from here on out, like I didn't really think Michigan was winnable. And maybe that was the only game that I came into it being like Northwestern really has no shot at winning this game. And if they do it, I'll be shocked, 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 shocked. I don't think I would be remarkably shocked at any other win for the rest of this year. And all they got to do is win three and they're going to a bowl and it won't be the most impressive bowl, but it is a bowl. And this is a down year. And I think everyone recognizes this is a down year. So if they can make a bowl or even really make it close with a five and seven record out of this year, that's improvement from 2019 where a down year meant three wins, two of which came against UNLV and UMass, right? They beat Rutgers, which I know Rutgers isn't great, but that's a big 10 team. I, I have to hope and, and suppose they're going to beat Illinois, which maybe they won't, but I, I really, really hope they do. Um, and I think there's going to be at least a, 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 not at least, but, but there's probably going to be a win or two in there otherwise. Um, and those are two or three wins in big 10 play. And that's not great. That's not the standard this program wants to be at. But for a down year for a program that recently, as recently as 2019, saw a down year mean one conference win and two non-cons against UMass and, and, and UNLV, I, I'll take it. And I think that that's progress. And I think that I would have faith in Fitz 
to move it along and, 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 and hopefully get back to a better season in 2022. Yeah, I don't disagree. I just think the larger issue is not down years being better, but rather let's, let's avoid they're spending too much money on the football program, on the facilities, on everything for them to be having down years. Like they should perennially, perennially, especially in the big 10 West, they should perennially be winning eight games. Yeah. But like, is, I guess Iowa probably is perennially winning eight games. And Wisconsin <laughs> probably is perennially winning eight games. Is Minnesota perennially winning eight games? No. Right. And Minnesota is an established football program with, they a, with, 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 a, with an established coach and PJ Fleck. With what Fitz has done, I, I would like Northwestern to be on a tier equivalent. You know, Fitz's goal is to be on the tier of Iowa and Wisconsin. And to do that, you have to win eight games consistently. Yeah. I just think, like, I don't know. I, I like, like, I, there's not much I can say other than, like, is Northwestern ever going to be that level? Because, North, like, like, look at the SEC and look at the one private school and it's an elite private school that's in SEC territory and it's Vanderbilt and they are never good ever. They never contend for anything ever. They never win anything ever. Like, like, I don't want to just like go through doing this, but I feel like that is the best comparison you can give. Cause that is, I think like the only other case of big football conference, one private school that is a like difficult school to recruit to because you can't recruit everybody because people have to be able to do some semblance of schoolwork not a ton, but some semblance of it. And, 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 and I just feel like um, there might be limits that we might not be recognizing here. And that I think that it is possible to perennially be winning eight games, but that again, it may be easier said than done. Um, let's move on to Minnesota if you're good with that. Yeah. Um, all right, so they're on running back number three of the year. <laughs> and yet, they're still kind of rushing their way uh, through every team that they face, at least when they're winning games. Um, I think that like, this is a winnable game for Northwestern, but maybe not like, I think that seven and a half points is a generous spread, but I think that I would still favor Minnesota if I was Vegas. Thoughts? Not sure. Um... I don't know. I think Northwestern plus seven and a half is a good line. On the other hand, I wouldn't be shocked if they just were dictating the trenches just like they were last week at Michigan and just got torn apart. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild that Minnesota's rushing for 210 a game. That's a, that's a big figure. 210 a game is a lot. Um, I mean, I, I, don't have the other numbers up, but I'm just looking at that. And that's, that's, that's intimidating. Um, I feel like, you know, this is a Minnesota team that has been through it this year. They lost to Bowling Green and yet they're a win away from bowl eligibility and we got five games left in the season. So that's gotta mean something. And they played some big 10 games. Like I think they, they're five and two and one of their losses is Ohio state. And the other one of their losses is Bowling Green. So there, it's it's like those two losses. You would put Northwestern between those two teams, right? If they were to lose, um, but like they really, there hasn't been any in between for them this year. It's either they're really good, or they're playing a really good team in Ohio State, or they're playing a really bad 
team in Bowling Green and they lose. Um, and I think that is more of a fluke than it was anything else. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. All right. So if Northwestern is going to turn it around, if they're going to win this game, what are the keys? Got to be able to run the ball consistently. I think it's pretty simple. If you run the ball consistently, you keep the defense off the field. They stay rested. Keep the chains moving. And you and you can have the mistakes you made on special teams like you did against Michigan. Yeah, so in retrospect, not in retrospect, but in comparison, this is crazy. Minnesota's rushing for 210 a game. How much do you think they're allowing opponents a game? Say that again. How much you, how many rushing yards a game do you think they're allowing their opponents? Because you're saying the key is to rush the ball consistently. I know they're fifth in the country. 85.7. yards a game on the ground. So I don't think you're going to be able to beat this team by consistently rushing. I think that hopefully to Stefan Robinson Jr. is healthy, right? You got to hope that he's going to be playing in this game because without Bryce Kurtz and without Stefan Robinson Jr. starts to get a little thin at wide receiver, despite that saying it's their deepest position. Um, and then you kind of got to take some chances. I, I'd love to see Charlie Mangieri or, or Trey Pugh get involved again. It's been a while since we heard their names um, in the passing game. I think that hopefully this is a game in which Jake is a little more creative than he was. Uh, and, and, and there are some play calls, potentially some play action stuff. Um, you can't really do very much option with, with Ryan Holinsky because he's not incredibly mobile. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, I, I don't think you're going to beat Minnesota rushing. Like, if you can have some success rushing, that is a great sign. Um, so, I, 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 and then defensively, obviously, it's limiting the run. It's not going to be stopping the run. It's limiting the run. Um, and then, you know, Tanner Morgan's been around forever. Um, so, he's seen Northwestern's defense a lot. And he's seen how Fitz runs these teams. And I think just being able to prevent large plays in the passing game. If you're giving up shorter passes, I, I will take giving up shorter passes um, as long as they can limit the run again, not stop it, but if you can hold them under 210, I think that's how you win a game. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Any other thoughts before we, we send it off? No, dude, I'm not going to ask you if you think Northwestern wins. I'll ask you. Do I think they cover. Okay. That, yeah. I think they cover. I I I I uh, I, I think they cover. That's that, that that's it. I I don't know if they win. I I have not made my prediction yet in our predictions piece for this week yet. Um, I will be pondering whether or not I think they're going to win yet. I think that if they're going to be bowl eligible, they are going to have to win this game. Um, and I think that this game will be telling as to whether or not they will be bowl eligible. I think they will be within seven and a half points. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a low scoring game. Um, and that's all I have to say. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, y'all. Well, have a good week, uh, and we will talk to you again on the next edition of Pound the Talk. Be well. Bye.